You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Malcolm and Marie. You are by far the most excruciating, difficult, stubbornly obnoxious woman I've ever met in my entire life. I fucking love you. Oh, he's so sensitive. He's romantic. But he's sweet, right? Well, I mean, yeah. When he's not being an emotional fucking terrorist. Oh. <laughs> I love the way you see the world, Marie. Mystery. The unknown. It's what supports the tension of a relationship. You're angry. No. The what if factor. Marie. Marie. What if there's someone who loved them better? Give me your pain. Give me your sorrow. Tell me what hurts. I will carry you. You know what, Malcolm? I feel like once you know someone is there for you and once you know they love you, you never actually think of them again. It's until you're about to lose someone that you finally pay attention. Well, what is it, Marie? What do you want? Really? You want to go there? Yes. Okay. I will carry you. I will carry you. You want control because you can't imagine the reason I'm with you is because I love you. Everything that you've been through, everything. That's what made you you, the girl that I love, the girl that I fuck with. I will carry you. All I wanted tonight was thank you, Malcolm. That is it. You know that I'm thankful. You know that I made a mistake. So why turn it into something more? Because it's about how you see this relationship. Look at me. I'm the last person standing. I will carry you. Hold on to me for dear life. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Malcolm and Marie, and the story is as follows. A filmmaker and his girlfriend discuss their past relationships while returning home from a movie premiere. The film is starring Zendaya and John David Washington. It is written and directed by Sam Levinson. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Lauren LaMagna. Hello, hello. Ryan C. Showers. Hey, everybody. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And we have two guests joining us here today. First up, we have from Bakersfield Life magazine, Emma Sasek. Hello. And from ColbyToldMe.com, Colby Mack. Yo, 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 what up? All right. So first of all, thank you to both of you for being here today. Uh, Thank you to the MVP panel that we've uh, put together for this one because this is one where there's a lot to talk about. This is something where uh, it's a movie that everyone's going to have a very, very strong opinion on. I have not seen a single take on this movie where people are like, yeah, I don't really have anything to say about it. (laughs) It feels like everybody has something to say about this movie, even if they feel that Sam Levinson, uh, director and creator of Euphoria, Assassination Nation, feel that he has nothing really to say about this movie. I mean, as they say early on in the screenplay, uh, Zendaya's character Marie tells Malcolm, nothing productive is going to be said here tonight. And... Boy, oh boy, does this movie have a lot of grand statements to make, a lot of contradictions. 
there is also, I think, some very brutal honesty here, not just in terms of the relationship of these two very specific people, but also in the greater filmmaking industry as a whole. We're going to try our best to dissect all of it, talk about it, rummage through our feelings with it. Who knows? Maybe even by the end of this podcast, some feelings might change. I don't know. That's why we discuss art. That's why we like to talk about it. And I'm going to first pass it off to one of my guests here, Emma. Welcome to the show for the first time. Tell us what you thought of Malcolm and Murray. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I guess I will start off because Malcolm was such a coward and didn't thank Marie. I want to thank her for looking so sexy in that goddamn dress because <laughs> he chose not to acknowledge any of it. <laughs> I was honestly very captivated from the start of the movie. Um, you can immediately tell they are in two de- very different spots. Marie is not having anything that happened earlier in that night while Malcolm is on a total high and we get to go through so many emotions between them. And I think what really makes a lot of the things work is just how wonderfully Zendaya and John David Washington portray these characters. Um, Especially Zendaya. I think she has just hit it out of the park with so many of her recent roles, especially Euphoria, which she won a uh, Emmy Award for just a few months ago. She is just fascinating in this movie and so emotional and so raw with everything that she says. Um, John David Washington is also in a in a role that I really haven't seen him in before. He's very loose and crazy, I guess you can say, with a lot of the things that he says about his film and film critics and Marie at the end of the day. Um, Definitely a movie that is full of a million and one different emotions and that says a lot of hurtful things, Um, some, I guess, some enlightening things, but like you also said, Matt, uh, a lot of unproductive things in the end, too. Um, so I think based on their performances, I think that they really, really did a fantastic job with this and really sold these characters. Um, I guess by the end of the film, I was a little bit exhausted listening to this back and forth of them fighting. Uh, if they were not going to bed, I was ready to go to bed after like fight number three. I was like, you guys got to call it a night. This is it's like 3 a.m. at this point. Let's go to sleep, please. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, you know, I was I was really captivated by them. OK. All right. Tossing it over to our next guest here, Kobe Mack. Kobe, what do you think of Malcolm and Marie? Yeah, I mean, tagging along to what Emma said, I, this is a, a hurricane of emotions inside this entire film. And not just the good ones, right? I think this movie is steeped in ego and bitterness and misunderstanding. But it's like it's through this prism of love. And I think that's what's kind of like the saving grace for it. Like essentially these are two people that are fighting for security and understanding dreams and what dream making is to them. And I mean ultimately it's a man and a woman who are just having a conversation. And it spirals out of control into a very toxic and (laughs) unstable exploration of their relationship, which is great because this is essentially a conversation. But I feel like I've seen the beginning, middle, and this kind of mysterious end of their entire relationship, right? Um, Sam Levinson is a unique storyteller, and I was able to compartmentalize and set aside whatever 
whatever evers that people may have about him and the right to be able to make this film or tell this story. Um, the fact that it was shot during quarantine is great. Like, I think like this is the type of innovation that we need and not innovation doing something new, but innovation just doing something in a world where a lot of people feel stunted to do anything. I love that this film is sleek. It's sexy. It doesn't pull any punches. I mean, it's part love story. It's part a commentary on Hollywood and film punditry. And um, it's a ticking time bomb that just feels like it's unrelenting, right? And there's just these daggers just coming at you, this constant barrage, and no one's left unscathed. And this is John David Washington's best performance that I've seen. Um, it's crazy because it seems like we keep seeing him in everything, and little by little he gets better. And I think this film does a lot of things that really puts him – with a really problematic character, puts him in the best light possible. But um, I was able to see some real growth from a lot of his previous work. And I mean, what more can be said about Zendaya? She's, oh gosh, she's a vision. Uh, it's crazy to think that we've seen this this girl, right, this Disney Channel starlet, um, mature into this beast of a performer. And there's so much that she does when she's not even speaking that's just absolutely fantastic. And I love this film's rawness. I love the film, how real it feels. And, and, and I connect to it even more so because I've been through these ugly, knockdown, dragged out, marathon, problematic as fuck arguments. And they just have these kind of like ebbs and flows of like heightened just hate. And then love and the civility. It's 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 tough because you know I've, I've taken screenwriting classes and it's hard to try to write arguments because people and audiences can get checked out really quickly. And I think this movie, it, it really goes for it. And it may not be everybody's cup of tea, but it absolutely was my Earl Grey. So I'm happy to have drunk it all. I've seen the movie one and a half times. I read the script one and a half times. I can't wait to study it even more because I believe it is perfect. Oh wow. Okay. Next up here, Josh Parham. Oh, man, I'm up next. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a little different approach to the movie. Um, I, I will say this about it. I do think that there are elements to this film that I do really like. And I think that the performances from both John David Washington and, and uh, Zendaya are really, really good, especially hers. I think that she is giving the better performance between the two. And not that he's bad, but... I think just between them, I preferred her. Uh, I also think that this movie is very well shot and it really has this kind of great intimacy to it that the filmmaking really emphasizes. And that can be more difficult than one would think. And especially when you're shooting in black and white, it does feel like there is an artistic choice behind it. It isn't just merely aesthetics. And I did appreciate that. I think that when it comes to the actual substance of the storytelling here, I did find myself quite frustrated with it, to be honest. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this movie seems to have two different sides to it in terms of what it wants to explore. And I feel like it has this very intimate relationship drama that's very complicated between these two very complicated people. And then you have all of this commentary about film and uh, criticism and diversity and intention. And I found the latter subject to be really like not interesting at all to me. I, I found a lot of those arguments to be very circular and repetitive and not that revealing. And it really frustrated me because I think that when it is talking about the more just like not mundane, but just sort of like, 
the, the way that we just look at these characters in their daily life and their relationship and what they're struggling with emotionally between each other, I thought that was really interesting and that was compelling to me. And some of it is connected back to the other commentary, but I think that larger commentary just was never as compelling to me as when we just sort of stripped it all away and focused on these two people. And there's a lot of that commentary about the industry and all this other stuff. And I just found most of those conversations to be very, they are exhausting, but not in a way that I found very captivating. So it's a movie that I'm very mixed on. There's a lot of things that I think it does very well, but it also ends up clashing with a lot of things that I really wasn't a fan of either. All right. Lauren LaMagna. Yeah. So, I'll start with my positives. I think the film is really, really pretty. I do love the cinematography of it, and I think everything in this film is gorgeous to look at. Um, The negative part of it is that I really don't like the screenplay. I think if this was a silent film, it would have been great. I would have loved it. And I just think that this is so drawn out. It kind of reminds me of that one kid in your English class in high school that thinks he's, you know, the second coming of William Shakespeare, but he just pisses off the entire class, including the teacher, and he probably will go on to major in philosophy in college. So he kind of reminds me of that, and I feel like this story wants to be something, but it's not trying to say anything. So either it's trying to be, you know, the next marriage story, or Revolutionary Road, or Before Midnight, or Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, or any other, you know, great American play tragedy, but it's not saying what it wants to say. I don't know if it even knows what it wants to say. And again, it, but because of that, it just feels like the characters are just complaining about, you know, what's going on in their individual lives instead of communicating to each other, which is fine if it's, you know, a one-act play or just, you know, a bunch of monologues. But as a concise, as a cohesive story, it doesn't match up with me. And in result, I unfortunately didn't really care about either one of the characters or one of their um, conflicts, which is what pulled me out. So when, you know, I would check, you know, on Netflix to see how much time I had left when I had, you know, an hour and a half left, I was like, I feel like I've been here forever. But I will say the acting is good. It's They're doing the best that they can with the script that they have. Um, it's obvious that Zendaya and Levinson are great together. They do know how to work together, and it's good to see a good collaborative duo But I just wish that, you know, they spend more time working on the script to figure out what they wanted to say, because I don't feel like they're aware of exactly what type of story they want to tell. They just want it to be two angry people in a house to, like, bash about film and couples and relationships, but they don't really go anywhere. All right. And finally, Ryan C. Showers. Well, I found Malcolm and Marie to be totally engaging. Um, I was really in tune with both the comedy and the drama of of the film. And um, like I was I was also plugged into the wavelength of both characters and their points of view. Um, I have to say, I found the movie to be a lot funnier than I was expecting it to be. Like the constant like the I was so wrapped up in the digs that they were throwing at each other, like in like the way that the dialogue is written. It's obviously overwritten. But for me, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed seeing how the actors brought that dialogue to life. Um, and both actors are a powerhouse. I like them both equally. I think they both rise to the occasion and they're, um, they, the way that they, especially Zendaya, the way she forms her character arc is really beautiful. And I found, um, Marie's character arc 
the way that it grows and we get to the root of the, the problem with her um, to be very satisfying in the end. Um, as for the commentary, I did appreciate the commentary um, for the most part. You know, I'm somebody who is very much an academic when it comes to film. Um, I'm more, I was more classically trained in college about film and film theory. So um, listening to uh, their discussion about the way that um, sometimes film critics can over, I can overdo the academic aspect of film analysis did make me check myself a little bit. Um, and I think that there is some things to, um, to, I think there's some, some merit to some of the things that they bring up here. So um, and I, I really liked it. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is going to win me no no new fans. Um, I really vibed with a lot of Sam Levinson's ideas in this screenplay. I do think that sometimes he uh, kind of puts his own you know foot in his ass with some of the things that he's saying. But I think at the root of everything, I think that the way that he uses the relationship to make a commentary on the film industry as a whole, it's problematic. It's messy. It is brutal. It is honest. It is revealing. It's literally saying everything that some of us are too probably scared to actually tweet sometimes because we don't want the wrath of film Twitter to come down upon us. Uh, but like you just said there a minute, Ryan, uh, about how this movie made you check yourself. I think that, you know, there's an aspect where people will definitely maybe f rethink about why they use the term, say, like authenticity uh, or authentic to describe something. And this movie kind of explains why that is a very shallow and cowardly like word to use to talk about film, because as uh, Marie tells Malcolm, nobody cares about film. Nobody wants to like actually talk about film. They don't they don't care. All they care about nowadays is authenticity. All they care about is portrayal of real world struggles. And so and 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 in in this idea that just wokeness in general and like scoring brownie points for portraying experiences that are um, diverse and not necessarily what we've been fed over decades and decades of this white male dominated industry. And you know what? That's all well and good. I think that's totally fine. Um, I admire, though, that the movie is kind of calling out a bit of hypocrisy, though, um, in how film critics and honestly just people on film Twitter and the casual, like, everyday audience member, like, everyone just views this stuff nowadays. And the truth hurts. You know, like the, like the slings of um, insults that Malcolm and Marie both throw at each other. They hurt, you know, those characters deep inside. And I think that what Sam is also doing to, you know, the industry also should hurt. But I think that, you know, instead of getting upset about it or completely trying to, you know, write it off as nonsense, I do think that there should be an open dialogue about it. And we should talk through some of the things that are being said in this movie, because this movie has given us the platform to be able to discuss it. Cause like I said before, most people are too afraid to talk about these things so openly, you know? And yeah, is there a lot of problematic stuff in here? For example, Sam Levinson, a white director using two black characters to discuss his own views on uh, black film criticism and, you know, how uh, 
black filmmakers are seen by white film critics and so on and so forth, can that be seen as extremely problematic? Yeah, totally. But now that it's been said and now that, you know, it's out in the open, we can talk about it. You know what I mean? So I I think in that regard, I think Malcolm and Marie is fascinating because it does kind of present to us this ability to have this in-depth conversation with a lot of intricate details. And as Lauren mentioned before, this movie is exhausting. Um, You know, there came a point where I looked at my watch and I was like, holy shit, there's an hour left. Like, I felt like I had already been through the ringer with this emotionally intellectually, physically even in some cases, because the movie is so tense and uncomfortable and you don't necessarily know where it's going, that by the end of it, I was so drained. And it's not even that long. It's like, you know, less than two hours. But I mean, you know, it could have probably been, you know, 90 minutes or shorter than that, I'm sure. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Uh, But in any event, I know there's a lot to talk about here. I'm going to try my best to steer the conversation as much as I possibly can. Uh, But my short reply to all of this is I kind of love the chaos that this movie has created amongst the film community uh, in terms of film criticism, discourse. And I think a lot of it is proving Sam Levinson's point that he is making with the movie. So when people say, you know, and no offense, Lauren, but when... You know, people say like, oh, I don't know if this movie, like if he had something to say, if he was making a point, I think he I think he knows exactly what he wanted to say. And he did make those points. I just think that it's pissing people off and that's okay. Uh, But I do think that the conversation that it is promoting as a result is worthwhile and something worth talking about. See, Matt, I don't necessarily disagree that there isn't a point being made. I think that there are just so many points being made that I think that eventually yeah. the actual messaging just gets lost for me. Like, for instance, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that authenticity uh, speech that happens. And while I agree that on the one hand that, yes, there is something to this idea that people throw around that term a lot and maybe don't fully comprehend the context of what they're saying it as and connecting that to uh, a deeper sense of film criticism. Yes, that that is one argument. But then the follow up to that scene is Marie using authenticity to create this performance and throw it back at Malcolm. And yeah. that's supposed to be like her rebuttal, except that authenticity is a different context than what he is arguing for. So then it's like the movie wants to throw out a counterpoint to its own argument and say like, oh, this is a very actually complex topic, but it's now arguing in like two different directions about things that are actually not that really connected to each other. And I found that to be persistent throughout a lot of this movie where so many of these arguments just throw a lot at the audience. And I think that just the barrage of dialogue and monologues that are happening are kind of overwhelming to a certain degree. But I think that if you really step back and look at the substance of what is being argued, I just don't feel like it's that consistent. And it just seems like it's shouting a lot at you with really not saying 
a lot of things that are substantive to the actual arguments that it's trying to bring up. Well, I mentioned before in the very beginning, this movie is filled with contradictions. And that that's like one of them right there that you just pointed out. Yeah, but does that contradiction add anything of value to the themes of the movie? I think it only adds value if you create that value. Um, okay. And that's my other point about this movie too, which is, and this is like kind of, this was my eye-opening moment during the movie. Uh, which was, we all need to stop caring about what other people think about our own opinions and reactions to a movie. You know, a filmmaker should make a movie for themselves and not for anyone else, and nothing else should matter outside of that. And our reaction to the art should only matter to yourself and really should not concern anyone else's opinion on that matter. You know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what... Malcolm says at one point, he's like, why does it have to have this more deeper meaning? Why can't you just take it as I put my heart into this and that's kind of it. Yeah. Like I did it for me. Yeah. yeah. His, his, the line of the dialogue says cinema doesn't need to have a message. It needs to have a heart electricity. But I will say it kind of seems like Sam in the text is almost trying to like have his cake and eat it too. Oh, totally. Yeah. And Mm-hmm. That can be completely unnerving for some folks, right? And I think, and and, and you're kind of hinting at this, Matt. I think we we bring a lot of our own shit to these movies, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And we project a lot to it. And I think that's what he's kind of getting at in the dig in regards to the LA Times, you know, journalists, right? Um, sometimes our own academia can make us want to overthink something when, you know, sometimes it is just what it is, right? There's no rhyme or reason why I chose to. Block Maybe I just want to make a Lego movie. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it is kind of doing it too. And I will say, yo, Josh, to your point, I think there's a beautiful mess to like how real arguments like this. Cause I mean, well, I will say this. I, 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 I was Malcolm back in my day, right? Um, living in Los Angeles, dating someone in the industry, having these conversations for hours on end, typically fueled on like you know, alcohol and drugs, right? Um, and it didn't seem like there was like any point, right? Like the in-between stuff is just a bunch of like mess. But then we kind of resolved to the point. And I, I thought it was really calculating how Marie, while indulging, you know, being on the opposite ends of like giving, you know, the barbs and then, you know, taking them, she'd always find a way to get back to her point, being unappreciated by Malcolm and trying to like really make this man understand like yo do you understand like what you're doing what you've taken away from me right it's not just you know i didn't get a thank you it's not just you didn't put me a part of this process you took something from me and wanted to discount my story and now i can't tell it right and so i think that that's a message that we can parse from it but it doesn't necessarily have to be the sole message that sam was trying to deliver i do think he nails the relationship point better than he does the film commentary point yeah I'll agree with that because I think that you know it, it, the the idea of like this con- all these contradictions and points and everything that he's making with the film commentary is messy. I, I agree, Josh. It is it is very very messy because there's so much that's being said uh, that it's hard for us to even maybe keep track of it all. Um, but in a way, that also is kind of resembling I think the relationship of Malcolm and Marie, where as outsiders looking in. It is messy. It is a hurricane of toxicity and it looks extremely volatile and like it's just filled with all these contradictions. And we're all probably projecting at the screen like, girl, leave him. He is such an asshole. (laughs) You know, I'm sure many of us probably felt that way while watching this movie. But 
going back to what I was saying before about how, you know, when you make a piece of art or we're talking about a piece of art, all that matters is our own personal connections to it. As outsiders looking into this relationship, we might look at this and go, oh, this is horrible. They're, they're so terrible for each other. Oh, he's such an asshole. But these two love each other, and that is just the fucked upness of their relationship. And fuck what anyone else thinks in their opinion. You know, I don't know. I didn't really judge the relationship. Like, I don't think that the, the, um, the direction, like, implies for us to immediately judge the, like, their relationship for being abusive or whatever in the way that other films, like, directly pinpoint us to be like, ooh, wow, girl, get out. Um, but I, because, like, I do think, I, this is going to sound messed up, too, but I don't think this is the most unhealthy relationship. I think this is just more of, like, an, an examination of a huge issue within a relationship, not necessarily a bad relationship. And I kind of agree with that. Like, I don't necessarily think this movie is, like, making a judgment call either. And I think that the stronger parts of it is when you do get a sense of how complicated their relationship is, which I don't mind. In fact, I actually really like that you don't really get very defined lines of who's right and who's wrong in terms of their emotions in the moment. I do like that. Oh, see, I think the film wants us to side with Marie. Yeah. I think that you do really? that because she's a better, she's giving a better performance. I think I, that's the reason why. Oh, no, I, I, I think was... that, I think that because John David Washington is performing at like this high voltage 11 <laughs> and she is like the one who's kind of laughing at how ridiculous he's being. I don't know. There's so many instances of that in the movie where it, it signals to me that we're supposed to be agreeing with her view of things. No, I walked away very. Yeah, different. I get that. No, yeah, it's definitely we're supposed to side with Murray because you know the opening scene again has Matt said he's high off a kite, screaming and shouting, and she's lighting a cigarette with like a torch, being so done with what he's saying. So you immediately agree with like girl i get it he annoying and also too like the the film definitely does not paint her as a scene like it definitely points out her imperfections i'll give you that but i still think that this is not a 50 50 split between the two yeah no i guess i, I guess I, I i walked away from it differently i think they both learned some things about each other because as ruthless as he can come out especially in that bathtub scene um it, it, like that's hard, right? And you can see it in, in Zidane's performance, just like how, like literally sunken in the water she is, but just also like in her emotion. But like I really thought that they were the way that the picture was being painted was like neither side is wrong nor completely right. Um, I think that where we kind of end at the end of the film, it's still even a mystery because I think ultimately like what's right is like how how Marie is going to be able to handle this night going forward. Like this, whatever this, you know, mystery sequel of, of, of their relationship is, I think that's the ultimate telling of like who's right. But um, I guess I kind of, I was left a little bit more even, but I could understand, you know, folks who kind of saw it as Marie was supposed to be the one that we're kind of rooting for more because like, here's this man who is, is getting all this acclaim and rightfully so. I think that she does lay out clear examples of, you know, his, his selfishness, right. And is, is his own narcissism. And, um, I think if that's the case and like, I, I would say that that's valid. Well, can I ask, what do you guys think of like the conversations they have about the way that, um, like the, the Los Angeles, um, woman white woman critic that they um that they discuss where and they go into detail about like how um like even like how white people can sometimes put forth like effort to be 
politically correct and be respectful, but it comes off as so patronizing. Like, I actually think that's one of the strongest parts of the of the film. Like, there's, like, after the first fight, I feel like this, it's most, like, this part of the film really hits, like, at, at, the, at the end of the first fight, whenever they're starting to, like, um, like they're, they're starting to kiss and cuddle and make out. Like, they're kind of jokingly going back and forth, making fun of, like, terms white people use um, at times. And I, that to me was like one of the one of the strongest parts of the film. And I'm just curious, was that just a me thing or? No, I thought his uh, rant about the L.A. critic review of the movie was honestly a legendary monologue in film history. Oh. <laughs> it was so like I didn't realize how much comedy was going to be like taken away. And I'm glad I watched this in the theater and there was only four people. I was laughing my ass off like the barbs because <laughs> it, it's all gold. And I think there's two different questions that you may be asking, Ryan. That's right. Because like, is there truth? to what Malcolm is saying about that critic. Second question, does Sam have the right to tell that truth and use Malcolm as a mouthpiece? Yeah. Okay, so I think in terms of the truth, it's his truth. Does that make it objectively true? I don't think that matters. It's an opinion that he's holding. True, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's his truth. <laughs> now, in terms of Sam, once again, I don't really have an opinion on this. I'm just kind of <laughs> kicking back, eating popcorn, and I'm laughing and watching everybody melting down over this. I kind of just love the chaos that it has created, if I'm being honest with you all. I was actually <laughs> reading a L.A. Times review of this film from a non-white, non-woman critic, and they keep pointing back to, you know, I think we know exactly who he is trying to point the finger at. Um, this critic, who I guess was a freelancer for the LA Times, she dared to write something bad about Assassination Nation. Um, and it seems like he's just been holding this grudge with him for, what is it, three years at this point? Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I kind of hated that monologue that he gave it to me it's actually the low point of the movie because for one thing i think that if you took out that monologue nothing would change in the movie it feels very superfluous to me i don't think it really adds that much to the conversation and it just felt so indulgent and not in a way that i found interesting at all it really just felt like yeah I have been bottling something up for the last couple of years, and now is the time I'm finally going to say something about it. But it felt so rather disconnected to everything else in the movie, to be completely honest. And then when it was over with, I never felt like we returned to any of those themes in a very meaningful way. And I get what he's kind of going for, but I f I, there's a lot of indulgent moments in this movie, but I found that one to be particularly... Um, very, very indulgent to a point that I really kind of almost lost complete faith in the movie at that point. If I take Sam Levinson's personal connection out of it, and let's just say this was one of those instances where I didn't know who Sam Levinson was. I was just watching this movie completely blind. I'm an audience member who has absolutely no history with Assassination Nation or anything. And I'm just watching this movie on its surface. The actual content that is being described is something that I think actually, I do think there is some degree of truth to it. I, I think that because we do have these um, 
uh, this 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 um, familiarity with Sam Levinson's work, and uh, obviously we know Assassination Nation did not get the greatest of reviews. I I was one of the positive people out there. Um, I always love saying that because I think that movie is a cult classic. Um, I love it too. <laughs> but I, I I think that if you strip that all away, what are we left with here? And Josh, I don't think you're wrong. I do think that it is one of those instances where the movie is definitely uh, hammering in its point to us and the point's already been made. We don't need to necessarily get it again. But is he wrong, though? I guess, like, the, the commentary isn't only limited to that specific monologue. Like, the, the more the stuff that I was talking about happens earlier in the film, not the monologue, where they're talking about, like, the, the, the phrases. Yeah, like when, like, when he first walks in, basically. Yeah, like, when, like, they're using, like, how, like, critics love to throw on words like white savior and, like, oh, people of color. I think even Zendaya, actually, she's the one who, like, makes fun of the way that, um, white critics write, you know, use specific phrases. I found that to actually kind of be powerful, but I understand, like, so yes, Colby, like, I was kind of a two-part question, like, you know, is the content, like, sound, but also, is it okay coming from him? It's tough. I mean, so I, I did not have any beef with Sam going into this film, where people most definitely do. And me, as long as I've been a film critic, I always want to make sure, like, yo, let me like state my bias up front. And then let me apply like let me allow that to like provide some context to my film. But let me also be able to like compartmentalize. I'm appreciating this as the art. And then I'm also going to be able to talk about this, right? Um, there's folks who have told me I watched this movie, I didn't know who wrote it, and then when and I, I liked it, but then when I found out who wrote it, I discounted it. And I find that to be odd, just like as, as someone who appreciates film. You know why? Because they're more concerned about how people will think of them mm, than yeah. they are with their own. Yeah, it's that it goes it's going back to what we were talking about before, where people are not comfortable with their own relationship to the art. And that's the point that well, Sam, I think, is making in the film, right? Like, I mean, like that monologue, I kind of agree with Josh. It's just a big firework of opinion, which I'm OK with. But it's just so harpened over and over and over again. And then we do leave that idea kind of where it stands. It just stands in that film. But so, again, I don't really get that much out of it. I, sorry to say, kind of glazed over. I want to say like 75% through the monologue because I figured I have all the information he wants to say. And he's not going to say anything more. He's just going to keep popping off. But I was more interested in the overall story of... Zendaya's character upset about not being in the movie and it being her story and just, the, you know, the idea of the artist and his muse situation and, like, whose right is it to tell whose story and how do they tell that? I think that's a more interesting conversation to talk about. Well, and then we have a real-life art imitating life example of that again of a white filmmaker telling a story of two black characters and more and more, we're seeing examples of this with modern movies where uh, film critics and audiences in general are basically telling white filmmakers, nope, don't like this. Don't want you doing this. Uh, we saw it with Trey Edward Schultz with Waves. We saw it with Catherine Bigelow with Detroit, you know, and there's, uh, I'm sure, other examples where it, it's basically like, you know, everyone's being told, you know, stay in your lane, essentially. And I, I definitely think there is an aspect to that here, uh, like you're saying, Lauren, where he's writing that in as well of, 
let's have a conversation about telling other people's stories. And that's exactly what Malcolm does to Marie in this movie as well. And, you know, we can formulate our own opinions about it and such. And the movie does, I think, a good job of framing that argument through their specific relationship. It's one that, once again, I find to be extremely uncomfortable, problematic, and one where I don't even know if I feel completely comfortable uh, stating my own opinion on this because, quite frankly, I've said this before, so I guess I'll just reiterate it, even if I said it like years ago. I do believe that, you know, artists should be able to create whatever art they want. I, I, I honestly do believe that. But we also have the right to criticize and to give them flack for it if we feel that way, what what I find to be extremely rough then in regards to that is then Sam Levinson kind of firing back then and saying, oh, you guys just didn't appreciate my art. Well, then I'm going to, you know, criticize all of you for, you know, giving me shit for it then. And it, we get into this like kind of kid, kitty back and forth then all of a sudden with film critics and artists and so on and so forth. And it's like, you know, just just let let people make their shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I I don't know why it has to be so volatile. I don't know why it has to be so contentious. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the tone of this movie, though. <laughs> the movie itself is volatile <laughs> and contentious. And right. You know, I, but I also think that you are free to obviously have these discussions and there is value to them. I just also feel like after like the fifth argument about the same two topics where nothing really new is being said, it just really starts to drain on me. And you can have a movie that is exhausting. Like a lot of people have been comparing this to uh, Virginia Woolf. And that is another exhausting movie. Yeah. But I feel like you still need to feel invested in what is being explored and feel like every argument is showing something new, a new dynamic to these characters. And I feel like this movie is very inconsistent at that. When we strip away the artifice of the industry commentary, I feel like you get to the root of the emotions to these characters. And that to me is very strong, but it gets bogged down in all of these other conversations that I feel like we're just going in circles. And yes, there's probably some, a point to that, but in terms of me just watching the movie and getting invested in a character's journey, that was nowhere near as compelling to me. Josh, I completely agree. I mean, when Marie says it like up front, nothing productive is going to be said tonight. We we should have just taken that as a warning for the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, but that should also not be <laughs> used as a cop But you could say like unproductive things, but the story can still be entertaining and it can still be a meaningful watch to the audience. Like you are making a movie at the end of the day, so it should be entertaining for an audience. All I'm saying now is that with this and Tenet, uh, with the whole don't try to think it, just feel it. We got to watch out now for key lines of dialogue in John David Washington movies early on. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's more of a that she meant like, you know, our relationship will still kind of stay the same. I mean, we can spew all these hateful and hurtful things toward one another, but, you know, we'll still wake up in the same bed tomorrow. We'll still love each other in whatever interesting way that they love each other, which apparently is by insulting each other to the core. Um, so maybe she meant something like that. Like, and you let's know, be real. This is not the first time they've had this argument. Oh, this is definitely not. L let's take the flip side out from Sam Levinson's point of view. Now we're going to have discourse about this. 
we're going to say that we hate it. We're going to say that we liked it. Some of us, like myself, are going to just say, hey, I'm just having fun over here. And you know what? He's going to keep on going. It don't matter. Right. He ain't going to stop. He's going to keep telling his stories. And just because you wrote down some words and you were angry and you were upset, unless if he commits a crime like Army Hammer, apparently, he ain't stopping. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I, I think that there is definitely this very interesting parallel going on here. And it's meta and it is completely ballsy and... I think he knows deep down that he's going to get shit for it for this. I, I, I'll tell you this. I guarantee you Sam Levinson knew that this movie was going to get trashed by people. But you know what? He didn't give a fuck. And I kind of admire him for that. He's like, I've got season two of Euphoria coming up. I'm busy. I don't need exactly. to get on time for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I think it's it, it's definitely really interesting about and obviously, you know, as a black film critic, I'm seeing the argument from, you know, from from two different sides, right? Like with inside of the black community, it's really a matter of like who is, I mean, I was looking at, and this this came from a non-black critic, and I thought it's something that really stuck out inside of their review. Two things. Why is Sam Levinson writing from the perspective of a black filmmaker? And the way Levinson addresses white critics reviewing a black filmmaker's work just doesn't feel authentic. And authenticity, I think, is a theme inside this film. I think what's authentic to you is like really, really dependent upon your like your lens. Like what's your perspective? Like how do you relate to something based off of like what do you see day to day, right? Um, I've had other black film, you know, film filmmakers and film critics say that, oh, I could tell that this wasn't um like this wasn't like a, 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 a that this was written by a white guy because you know, no black man says cock, right? And I'm like, huh? that feels so limiting to what the black experience is. And I think the black experience is so staunchly dependent upon where you are regionally, you know, like right now I'm in South, I'm, I'm in Atlanta. It's very different than when I was living up in New York. It's very different than when I was living out in, um, in LA, right? Like it's, it's, and I, I really hope that folks can understand that. I think the goal of this film and one, this was a collaborative effort between Zendaya, between Sam JDW came in and while, and I'm still kind of confused why they don't have any type of like at least story, you know, credits, you know, attached to this, um, because as what I was told and by, you know, people who worked in the market in this film, that they very much were heavily involved into bringing this project to why Sam has a sole writing credit. Um, folks in the black community were just majorly kind of like pissed off that this was singularly coming from the mind of like a white man. And I, 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 I I want to give a little bit more grace to like, you know, you know, my fellow actors that like they're not going to be in a film where they feel like they're going to be um, culturally appropriated by some like, you know, you know, just white filmmaker who just stole a story from them. I mean, I've seen some people saying that he's using them as a shield. And I think that if he did give them the story credit on the screenplay, that would have really have been a shield, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I I honestly think that either he took sole credit for taking the sole responsibility for this movie so that they would walk away from it unscathed. Cause like I said, I think he knew how people were going to react to this movie. It's either that or there's some WGA rules bullshit going on. I don't That's know what I thought, but I mean, but still like there, I mean, Zendaya's an executive producer on this and I think so is, so is John David Washington, right? They're both producers on the movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's different than writing credits. 
But I mean, typically an executive, like I'll have a heavy hand in regards like, you know, like what they want. I mean, they're the ones that are stepping up at the Academy Awards, you know, taking the trophy, right? But then we have to get into this whole question of like, okay, if this is so problematic and so wrong, should any blame be placed at Zadea and John David Washington for agreeing to yeah. sign on, for agreeing to produce? And I don't see anyone having that conversation. They're all throwing it at Sam. And so then it's like, okay, well, then is John David Washington, who just starred in Tenet, so desperate to land a job that he had to do this? No, clearly he thought that there was some level of merit to this in some way. So why are we then completely writing it off and saying that there isn't any? Well, I mean, the conversation about whether or not there is merit is different than is what is here like. A, a worthy conversation to have like oh it's let me let me be clear it's a messy conversation to have i don't know if it's so much worthy because like like we've you know said before there's so many points and it's hard to keep track that i don't know if you can walk away from this with any other feeling than none of it matters none of it matters <laughs> and well yeah and my feeling is is that a worthy experience to have in a movie like do i want a feeling that I get to the end and it's like, what was the point? I, I don't know if that necessarily for me is what I'm looking for in a movie, even one that is messy and disorganized. You can do that, but I feel like at the end of the day, I need to learn something about these characters and find that it's very revealing from an emotional perspective. And I think this movie tries to throw so much at me that it is hard to keep track of, but not in a good way. I feel that it's so messy that whatever it's trying to land just dissipates amongst the noise that it seems so obsessed with. And it was, if it was more focused, it would be so much more powerful. But as it is, it just seems like it has so much it wants to discuss without ever really getting into the context to explore any of the things that it does bring up that I just am so frustrated and just want to walk away. Exactly. My issue isn't about the ideas that are being discussed. It's how the ideas are presented in the film. And I feel like if Levinson just focused on, you know, maybe one to three instead of like seven and just had each seven be like each individual monologues and then not having really rebuttals and instead having these bigger conversations that are based in character, that would have been so much more effective than just all of these different ideas just exploding on us within the course of the film. You know how you fix that? You make this movie less than 90 minutes. You put it in the 80-minute mark somewhere. That would have been nice. That would have been nice. (laughs) Like, I think there's a good story here. Like, I think there really is, like, a good gem of a piece of a story here. I just think there's just too much there right now. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's I think there's really good buildup, especially with Zendaya or Marie, I should say. You know, first you are just presented with he didn't thank her in the speech, and you know, I as I was watching this, I was thinking about a few either Academy Award or Golden Globe, whatever award show speeches where somebody forgets to thank their partner or their spouse, whoever it may be, and I can't help but think, oh boy, is this going to be a fight later on when they get home? Like, why didn't you thank me? I was there for you every step of the way. I supported you. I was also thinking about that Ben Affleck speech that he made when he won for Argo and he told um, Jennifer, marriage takes work. And I'm sure she was like, dude, why, why'd you say that? Why couldn't you just say <laughs> thank you for supporting me? And she's no longer with him anymore. 
then we see what happens. End scene. <laughs> End scene. So we're presented with, you know, he didn't thank her in the speech. You think, okay, yeah, he really should have thanked her. But then she builds on that and she says, you took my life story from me. You just, you didn't thank me for being on drugs. You didn't thank me for going to rehab. Like I gave you all this material. And at the end of the day, you can't thank me because I don't know what I, I can't remember what exactly she says, but she is basically like, you know, you have no ideas without me and you can't even give me that basic thank you. And then she builds on top of it where she said, why didn't you cast me in this role? I would have been better. I would have presented my life story in a much more quote unquote authentic way. And it would have been better than Taylor, the woman who uh, ended up playing uh, Marie and that character. And, you know, you just kind of get this build up to what this all really does mean to her and how much this really hurts her. By contrast, Malcolm is just really digging into her insecurities and, you know, just her past faults. And she's not a perfect person. I mean, we we can see that even the things that she says to him, that he's mediocre and that he has no good ideas of his own. You know, we we get to see that they're both they're both not gems in this in either way. But I just think with Marie and her her points and her arguments, I just felt like those were stronger in the overall arguments and conversations that were had throughout the film. If Marie wasn't constantly using the previous argument and bringing it back to not just her original point, but kind of expounding on that further, then I would have found like this particular argument. Like, I think that's why I didn't feel redundant to me is because she kept finding it. She was so calculated because even when they just got home, she was glaring at him, waiting for him to notice the glare, aggressively stirring the macaroni and cheese because she wanted to start the fight. You know, even when she said, oh, this is going to be unproductive, that's essentially lighting a match. What do you mean it's going to be unproductive? You don't tell that to a man it's going to be unproductive. Why is it going to be unproductive? Like, she knows him, right? She is, she is stirring the pot literally with the mac and cheese, and that's why I kind of found this dance like just – really and, and because i've had you know like i said i can relate to it because i've had this same exact argument and i very much was and still have shades of malcolm inside of me and like being able to see that and then visually just how beautiful like this thing looks i mean that th- this tracking shot of like the camera going inside the living room and out on the patio was a day is lighting a cigarette and then back inside and this constant move it it just it, it kept it kept me like so intrigued i couldn't take my mind off of it or the story and what they i mean it reminded about. me of the uh tracking shot in assassination nation outside the house the home invasion scene oh my god yes yeah i mean there's no denying that sam levinson is a technically uh pretty brilliant filmmaker and i think that the set like the house it's set itself that they um have the whole movie take place in I think it is very dynamic. It has uh, a lot of space and a lot of rooms, and it allows for the two actors to, you know, have some really clever uh, blocking. There's even times where the camera is struggling to keep up with John David Washington. Like they have him in a close up, and he is just flailing around so much that I'm just like, oh my god, this focus <laughs> puller right now must be having a field day trying to track him. Because <laughs> John David Washington's performance, um, as Ryan said earlier, th- there is some comedy in how ridiculous he overplays this role. I mean, when he's sitting there and he's eating the mac and cheese, I was laughing my ass off. You know the backstory I've never behind seen that? somebody eat mac and cheese like that before in my life. <laughs> and I <laughs> love like all the grunts of like, mm, 
Mm. <laughs> like he's like, it's so good. You know? <laughs> Wait, what's the backstory behind the mac and cheese? So they lost like three days of shoot of 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 a film, and like he had to do that scene so many times. He was so pissed because he eaten so much mac and cheese. <laughs> so like that was like really really real. And I will say it must have fueled the performance then because like oh, you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you this, with the way that this was shot shot in sequential order, I think it helped. John David Washington, because he was able to organically kind of like Zendaya is already on a particular level, like performance wise. And I think that with this being shot in order, he was able to grow with the script, comfortable in his performance and get to a place where by the end of the film, while Zendaya is still the standout, he was really trying to match her. And I thought that like that's what made it like super duper strong until like his last few moments. He's just up against the wall. And I think it's when he's his most vulnerable where she is completely reading him. She is taking him down. She tells him that you this is as good as you will get. Yeah. Like there's there's and I'm like for, uh, as a man, like it feels so emasculating and he just took it and then. Everything that we've seen up until that point is that he's just going to find a way to argue and argue and argue again, and he just stops. And I think that it wasn't appeasement. He was just genuinely, I get it. And he just says, I love you, Marie. I'm sorry. Yeah, because what else can you say at that point? Yeah. I mean, her her final thank you monologue is so definitive and Ooh. so, like, you just can't come back from that. The, the fight is over. She won. That is the last <laughs> word. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to like what I said earlier, like I found her arc to be so satisfying. Like I, I do think the screenplay does a really great job of like carefully mapping the emotional beats and getting to that, getting to the root of the problem. Because because you just feel such like a, a sense of like grand, like epic, like conclusion when she's delivering that last monologue. Oh yeah, completely. And it goes on and on and on. At a certain point, I'm like she's really saying thank you for everything uh, you know like you know thank you for you know the times that she went out and got the groceries thank you for and, and like she just kept listing stuff and listing stuff and i yeah i have to admit it was overwhelming to the point where uh, in a film that is this exhausting and this long even though it's like i said before it's less than two hours it still feels very long that was the definitive exclamation point and then it was interesting because then you know they go to bed and I don't know about you guys. Uh, for those of you who actually were still invested and still cared at that point, how did you guys feel about how it ended? I, I would have just been fine with the with the music playing out and ending the night. Like I didn't need any more. Like when it like actually like when it wiped to that white, I was like, okay, cool. But then it's like, oh no, here's this epilogue of yeah. just them before they go to bed. And of course you have some people remarking like, this dude didn't take a shower. He was outside kicking up dirt and rocks and stuff like that. His feet are so dirty. <laughs> so dirty, so dirty. Oh my God, I love his random, um, fuck Malibu line. <laughs> <laughs> it was so you random, it was so funny. There's something about Malcolm and like one of my greatest TV heroes is is Ari Gold from from Entourage. And there's something about Malcolm that projects Ari like this like toxic masculine been in the industry frustrated but I love to reap the benefits of it and like that's like when he says like fuck Malibu like it's like all of that inside of him right yeah um, but yeah I, I could have definitely I didn't need it the film was already perfect for me up to that point but I did not discount it because we got that extra five minutes and then kind of like this ending you know shot where it's like is this is this hope is this a new day because I thought like yo what if she decided to just you know peace out right yeah that's what you're made to believe 
I was I was wondering, like, you know, would it would it have been better if she wasn't there and he was still looking for her the same way that he's looking for her earlier on in the movie? I I, I was wondering and thinking to myself, OK, what uh, until like before the credits rolled, I was thinking to myself, OK, what do I want to see play out? Uh, because it, there's another line in the movie about uh, how you could judge a film based on the choices being made, uh, not based on what could have been. And so the decision to have him find her out there, it, it did. It, I, I I have to admit, for me, it did signal um, this idea of hope and that they're going to continue. And I mean, after you have that kind of a fight and you air out that much information, grievances, past trauma, I mean, everything that they said that evening... I, I really do believe that if you really do love the person unconditionally, you can move on from that and you can actually grow. I, I honestly do believe that. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. I also and thought I what did... was interesting um, was that at, during their the bathtub fight, he says to her, I don't need you, but I love you. But, you know, we're seeing a lot of examples where I don't know if that's true. Not the I, I love you, but the I don't need you. I mean, when he's walking around the house in the middle of the night um, and outside, he cannot find her anywhere. You, you feel that panic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you feel that panic in him. It's definitely a contradiction for sure. And then it's kind of repeated in the end, too, when he is immediately like abruptly out of bed, even though who knows how many hours he got of sleep and he's super tired, but he's immediately trying to find her. And that panic maybe sets in again where, oh my God, maybe, maybe she left me. Maybe she really did leave me. Um, and then obviously we don't get to see uh, up close if they're saying anything to each other when they do meet outside. Um, but you can tell that, no, I do think you need her. Also, too, I mean, like, we get a reason for why she's sticking with him. She talks about the mystery element, you know, and so we understand why he's with her. And then we also get an understanding for why she's with him. Now, we don't have to agree with this. You know, we can all look at this on the outside, as I said before, and formulate our own opinions on how toxic is this? Is it fucked up? But, you know, something that I, you know, tell people all the time, even like, you know, personal friends of mine in life, it's like, yeah, the relationship looks really shitty from the outside. But, hey, you know what? If they love each other, I mean, who, who are we to get involved and say anything then, you know? And I think that there is an element to that in this movie. And I think there's an element to that in Sam Levinson's directorial career, storytelling choices, everything else, where it's like, 
yeah, we're, we were free to have our opinions on the matter. But at the end of the day, nothing else matters other than his own relationship to the art and their relationship to each other. And none of it, none of it else, nothing else matters. As long as no one's getting hurt. <laughs> no one's getting hurt over here, right? I don't know. When that butcher knife got introduced, I got real scared for a second. <laughs> but the, honestly, that that performance part in that scene is when – like I, I, I don't know how you guys kind of judge when you give a film five stars or a 10 out of 10. But like there's something that I'm waiting for, some type of like electricity, some magic moment and like that did it for me. I'll, I'll tell you what that moment did do for me. That moment mm-hmm. did the – oh, Zendaya really is in the best actress conversation. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. When we get to that conversation, I got a lot to say on it. But like, because that, I feel like that was a crossroads where I was with the film and understand where it's going. But like, I thought like, cause you could also read, here's this man who essentially like, you know, has all this power and is loading over her and doing all of these destructive things, knowing that she's a woman who's, you know, who has a very fragile past and he's just pushing her and pushing her and pushing her. And I did not know where the movie was about to go. And I'm glad that she flipped it on us. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm sold. This is it. Like, this is everything that I didn't know I wanted, I got. And it just completely worked for me. And, oh, man, this movie. I could talk. I, I mean, I spent three hours in Clubhouse um, this last night talking about this movie. Like, I feel like I feel like the discourse is it, – it, it's a lot. But I also think it's necessary, um, too. So, like, I, I'm glad that we have, like, so many different varying, like, you know, aspects on this. I, I, like I said, I think the necessary part comes from – yeah, there are some problematic and uncomfortable uh, topics being explored here in terms of who has the right to tell whose story. Uh, we're talking about white artists and black artists over here. We're talking about also um, <laughs> kind of whittling down the film criticism process down to utter meaninglessness. <laughs> and I think that that also brings out a bunch of um, insecurities within people as well. And some people I think are I think there are some people that are showing their ass a bit with the points that this movie is making and kind of proving this movie's point at times. With that said, the film is messy. Uh, the film is one that promotes uh, great conversation. And not everyone has to agree with anyone's opinion on the conversation. And I keep coming back to something that I just mentioned a moment ago, which is as long as no one's getting hurt over here, we can all disagree with each other and still be friends. <laughs> so, my friend... Josh Parham, final thoughts on Malcolm and Marie. Uh, I think the only thing that I would end on is I do want to end on stuff that I did like about the movie because I understand that I have come across very negative, but there are things I do like about it. Um, I did mention that I do think it is really well shot, and there's a particular scene when they're outside and you see those trees with oh, yeah. and the way that those are lit. Like that is beautiful, like really like a breathtaking scene. So like. The whole thing is shot very, very well. I will certainly give it that. Um, I also think that the performances are still really great. And that that bathtub scene with her, one of like the greatest moments of acting, truly, like where she's just so silent and listening to him, but you get all the emotions on her face. Like that is the style of acting that I tend to really respond to. And I think that she's brilliant. I think that's the best scene in the movie. It's really, really well done. And as far as that epilogue goes, it, it does, yeah, probably feel a little unnecessary, but you know what? He took his shirt off, so 10 out of 10 moment for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love you, Josh. Can I just, can I just say, like, um, John David Washington's dancing at the beginning was like, oh, wow, we're starting out on such a high here. <laughs> <laughs> 
He's an electric individual. I'll tell you that. I, I that guy. Ooh. Down and out, New York City by James Brown, pumping through the house. It was pretty. It was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it. All right, uh, Josh. What would be your grade out of ten? I am going to give this a six out of ten. It is a movie that I find a lot of stuff that. I can respond to and and think that it is doing a good job, but I just have so many frustrations with it that I can't quite go into the like fully recommend territory. There's enough in here that I appreciate, but I still find it to be too flawed for me to fully embrace it. So I'm kind of mixed on it. And that's where a six out of 10 is for me. All right. Ryan C showers. Okay. There's just a couple of things I want to run through real quick. Um, I, you know, this it goes without saying, like that each of the performances are great on their own. But I think that, that these two actors have amazing chemistry. They have a spark, like that you only see like once, once every few years. Like Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper, you know, like ten years ago, like they were, they had amazing chemistry. Do you think that there's a potential chance that we could see them re-team up in another project in the future? Oh yeah, I'm sure. That would be exciting. It would be very exciting. Um, uh, and this was always interesting that we had such a reflective movie during um, the COVID-19 crisis. Um, I think we can look back at this and like maybe recontextualize it in a couple of years and be like, oh, okay, this is how the implications of where we were as a society also played into the dynamics of the film. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really impressed with um, a-, a lot of things about Zendaya's performance, but especially the way she carried herself. Like, you know, there was a lot of controversy at the, like a few months, like a month or so ago about her age, about the age difference between um, her and John David Washington. And she carried herself like she was a 35 year old, not a 20 year old. Like she was, uh, she, there was so much to this performance that is so good, um, you know, from the different types of emotions that she has to play with. She has to play restrained anger. She has to give these beautiful monologues but there's just you know there's a specific physicality and maturity to her performance that i think is being um that hasn't been discussed in the way that it should um and i really loved the movie um in the first like the first half hour or like the the last half hour but i will say it did drag for me in the middle it did lose a a bit of the steam um so i i was i was going to be an eight but i am going to be a seven here okay all righty lauren lamagna I do want to reiterate, I think this film is gorgeous. I think it would have been like a really cool silent film if it wanted to be. Um, I love reactionary um, acting and just subtlety. So I love that shot of um, Zendaya when they're on the floor and John David Washington tells her to, you know, to stay there. She'll be back. And then we just stay on her face. And I loved that shot so much. I I respect what it's trying to say. I respect what it's doing. You know, it's... They made a film in the height of the pandemic and movies are still getting made. I respect that immensely. I just wish the way that they formed these conversations and the way they presented these conversations to its audience were better and more organized. That's mainly it. There are interesting things to talk about. I do love the, you know, idea of, you know, who should tell whose story and, you know, consent of a story. That's amazing. But, you know, it just wasn't organized as well as I wanted it to be. But it's still pretty it's really pretty i love the soundtrack the soundtrack is great and um i just don't know if i would recommend this to everyone so right now i am a six out of ten okay all right emma something that i did not get to talk about but other people have mentioned is uh i really loved the use of black and white 
for this movie. I feel like it just really added to the overall drama and tone that we know we're going to get into. Like I said before, the second they walk in, you can tell that they're on two totally different levels. She's over everything. He's just getting started. And the black and white, just that contrast really worked with their characters and their place at various points throughout the film really love that and I also really love the music in this too um, I'm so selfish playing in the background uh, get rid of him which just worked absolutely perfect where the lyrics are get rid of them he's breaking your heart but I love him I, I still want to stand by him I mean that just shows exactly where they were at after which who knows which fight that was at um, I still think that their performances were definitely the strong suit of this film. You can't get better than their chemistry. And Zendaya is just knocking it out of the park with, honestly, every single project that she's been doing. Um, so I think overall, I'll give this an 8 out of 10. All right. All right. Kobe Mack. Yo, ballsy direction, stigging dialogue um a really interesting meta commentary filled screenplay like exceptional performances um, i'm glad that we like all kind of touched on how amazing this music is as there's only two people on screen the music is kind of like a character unto itself kind of helping to you know push the conversation um, absolutely gorgeous cinematography and uh, the discourse is meaty and i think that there's a lot to be gained from it and it's <laughs> It's an absolute 10 out of 10 for your boy. All right. Okay. Why, why did Selznick and Hacked Bake Gone with the Wind? Billy Wilder in Spirit of St. Louis. Why? Can anyone tell me? Anyone know? No? Well, I guess we'll never know from Sam Levinson's point of view then. <laughs> I really, really like this movie uh, because I like everyone else's reactions to it. I really, really like uh, the controversy, the discourse that it has inspired. It is in some cases frustrating, but in other cases very fascinating and enlightening. And I just like hearing people talk about this movie. I've read positive reviews, and I've also read very scathing negative reviews of it as well. And I love every single bit of commentary uh, that has been discussed about it so far. Uh, a couple of very quick things. Um, the paywall uh, for him to read the review. <laughs> oh my God, did I laugh so hard. And then, yeah, he's looking for the wallet and then she's like, did you check here? Did you check there? And then he's like screaming and then all of a sudden, oh, got it, got it. And he's like calm all of a sudden. Where'd you, where'd you find it? Doesn't matter. <laughs> and then where's my phone? Malcolm, oh. Malcolm, Malcolm. It's right here. Honey, it's, it's right so here. Real. It's so real. Yeah, I like that moment too. But again, I would say that's like kind of stripping everything else away and just being a very human moment, which I think is where the movie is stronger. But yeah, that I I did really like that moment because yes, trying to read something behind a paywall, getting very annoyed, super relatable. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. I think we've touched upon a lot of the uh, messages that, you know, I wanted to uh, talk about with this movie and you know one of the things that I think that is often debated time and time again is is all art political and I think there are some people who have a very very strong stance about that question um, and then I think there are people who 
take the stance of it means whatever it means to you. And that's kind of the stance that I take with this movie. And that's how I take, you know, film criticism. And that's how I kind of just take this show in general is you listen to us, you dear listeners out there. I don't know why you all still listen, if I'm being completely honest sometimes, but I'm grateful and I appreciate it at the end of the day. I do it because I love doing it. And these people made a movie because they like making movies. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to think that it was some political statement. You can think it was a political statement. You could think whatever you want. You're free to think anything you want. And that's kind of it. <laughs> that is it. There's nothing else that needs to be said anything more than that, I think, at the end of the day. So, with that said, I'm really at a 7, if I'm being completely honest with y'all, but I bumped my score up to an 8 just because, like I said, I, I this movie is just giving me so much entertainment over the last couple of days, just watching people melt down over it. <laughs> Freaking out. <laughs> I mean, it, it's funny to me. It's genuinely funny. All right. Awards potential. Ryan. My best actress expert. <laughs> Literally. Yep. <laughs> Literally, I know. Talk to me. Talk to me. What do you think now that you've seen it? Listen, I think Zendaya is so good in this. Like, I, you know, Matt, I said this to you yesterday. Like, it makes me so, um, so annoyed that uh, Best Actress is so competitive this year because this is the type of movie that even if she doesn't get the Oscar nomination, it should have been like the, again, a normal Best Actress year. She could have gotten like a Golden Globes nomination and this would have been like the perfect way to really start her film career for her to win Best Actress in the next five years at the Oscars. Um, that being said, like, I'm not going to lie. I really don't think this is the type of movie or the type of character that really fits the establishment type mold that that really does well with the academy um and i you know she's not off to a great start she to really be competitive here she really needed to break into golden globes or sag and she didn't because i'm i'm pretty sure she won't be getting in at bafta and that just leaves critics choice for her and in, uh, in terms of the um the major uh televised groups and that's just, it's its really hard to justify that when people, other people are getting SAG and BAFTA or Golden Globe and BAFTA. Uh, I don't know. I, you know, I don't think John David Washington is happening at all. Um, but Zendaya, she, because she has more of an ingenue type of a vibe and she is a hot commodity having just won the Emmy, um, she is a little more competitive, but I just, I, you know, I am i don't think so. I, I hate to say it because she deserves it, but like, this just isn't the type of role they typically nominate. And it's just not the vibe, especially because the film's reviews aren't great either. Like, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's that's what I think. Yeah, she needed some. She needed Golden Globes. Yeah, she needed one of those. Yeah, because, yeah, she's not getting it at BAFTA, and we all know why. <laughs> why that is. That's not happening. She needed something at this point, And I do think that her winning that Emmy a couple months ago does show that the industry does like her. But I think that at this point, so late in the game, you need to make a statement within the race to say that you can be taken seriously and not getting any major precursors, I think is just going to be a real hindrance. And given how competitive best actress is right now, I think that this is just going to be seen as like great performance couldn't make a spot for you, but we'll keep an eye on you in the future. I'm leaning that way. 
uh, now as well because I was so confident she was going to get a Golden Globe nomination. Yes, I was. On. I was very confident. And I think once that happened, I think that killed off her chances. Even if she makes CCA and then miraculously makes BAFTA, I still think that she won't get the Oscar nomination primarily because, as Ryan said before, this movie around her, I think, is so anti-establishment and so divisive that it, it, it would shock me at this point now. Yeah, and even if she got in at Critics' Choice, there's going to be like what six, seven nominations for Best Actress. So it's like hard to mm-hmm. judge. And half who's really of those are, and half of those are already backed by Netflix. That's just too big of a year. For yeah, them. yeah. You know, like it's just it's hard because like there are going to be like you know between Andre Day and Amy Adams and two and and people nominated in the comedy side at the Golden Globes. There's going to be some. There's bound to be somebody who gets, uh, you know, who gets a double nomination, like a SAG and BAFTA or Golden Globes and BAFTA or Golden, uh, Golden Globes and Critics' Choice. And, you know, I just, she just, she's not going to have that. And she doesn't, like, I, you know, you would think, like, she would be in a nice position to be the surprise nominee that no one's expecting that just randomly shows up on Oscar nomination morning. But, like, you know, there's a reason that Renee Zellweger won last year for Judy. That's, a, that's an establishment type of role and movie. And this is so this is so wild it's just it, it's it, i just don't think it's gonna jive I, I i know reviews have not come out yet for united states versus billy holiday but it is kind of funny to me that uh we could be looking at a situation where all three of them zendaya amy adams and andre day are all trying to get in and all three of their movies are rotten rated on uh the tomato meter mm-hmm. and yeah and when we talk about contenders that don't show up anywhere and then kind of surprise Usually, not always, but usually that's either a movie or, or a performance that is in a film that is coming out like very, very late and not a lot of people have seen it. So it doesn't have the potential to get in at some of these precursors or it's a really big best picture contender that people really love and then bring somebody else along for the ride. And that's not the case uh, for Malcolm and Marie. Like, yeah, the movie is coming out late in the season, but not late enough where these groups didn't get a chance to see it. So there was opportunity to nominate her and it's not really being taken right now. I wonder if they had pushed this movie to be released next award season, would it have been too late at that point? Or would people still be talking about how fantastic this COVID quarantine film was that it gives her that edge? Um, I don't know if, you know, if this was the right choice to put it out during this late in the I guess, award season and the eligibility period, or if it would have fared better this time next year. That's a good point. I do think that they wanted it because you have to look at it from the standpoint of right now in a regular calendar year, we're in December right now, even though we're really in February. Right. So I think they were looking at this as that late breaking movie, as Josh mentioned before. Problem is, um, as we just mentioned, is that the movie is not going to be nominated for Best Picture. It's not going to contend for screenplay. John David Washington is not going to contend for Best Actor. This really is Zendaya. And the only reason that we are saying this even is primarily because of her Emmy win for Euphoria. Had she not won the Emmy for Euphoria, I don't think we would be talking about this at all. Agreed. You know, and like, you know, Josh, to your point, like, you know, these like surprise, like late breaking, like, you know, they miss the precursors, but then show up at Oscar. Another like genre of that nomination is like an older, like veteran. Like mm-hmm. I'm thinking of like Charlotte Rampling for 45 years or 
Um, some, something like to that extent where that makes me think it's more like a, uh, Sophia Loren or Michelle Pfeiffer fitting that mold. Like it just, I feel like an ingenue, like they, they really build up their profile by doing, by being like the spotlight, being like in the spotlight, um, build, building up to the Oscars. And if she's not doing that, like, I just really struggle to see her actually making it, making it through that way. Yeah, the, the ingenue needs the coronation, usually, in order to break into a race like that. You know what? They're just going to give it to Meryl Streep. That's the fifth person that gets the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That'd be really funny, right? If it's between all these women and they can't decide and they just decide, you know, I can't pick between these ladies. Let's just go with Meryl. <laughs> it's <laughs> in my best actress piece published on Friday, I said like I listed like the top ten, and I, I, I after number ten, I put dead colon Meryl Streep in the prompt. <laughs> like, I, I didn't realize how shady that was until somebody took it out of context and tweeted it at me. I was like, oh wow, that was harsh. <laughs> She'll be okay, Ryan. <sighs> I know. <laughs> Anyone else? Anything before we go? No, I think that's it for me. I uh, saw a tweet earlier today. Um, it was like this whole thread of Sam Levinson talking about Malcolm and Murray. And I just kind of wish that he would take the approach of not going the Darren Aronofsky route where just don't like just don't just don't talk about your movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're digging a deeper hole for yourself. It's like you've done all the talking that you need that you could possibly do within the movie. Like, you know, I feel like he would if he would just shut up and sit back and let the chaos happen. I think it would send a stronger message about what he's trying to do anyways. Like, but instead, I feel like it, it comes into this like an immature, like fanboy, like, you know, kind of thing where he is kind of, you know, constantly stirring the pot as people are as people are absorbing his film. I, I just think it's a bad look. And it doesn't help that, once again, our perceptions of him is this nepotism of being the son of an Academy Award winning filmmaker and Barry Levinson, you know, so it doesn't help. <laughs> Sam, it doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> love your work. Love euphoria. Love Assassination Nation. Just just let it go. <laughs> let it take a life of its own. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Malcolm and Marie on the Next Best Picture podcast. I want to send a huge thank you to our guests here today for joining us for this very productive, I might say, conversation. Emma, where can I find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek, and you can find me on Bakersfield.com slash Bakersfield dash life. Kobe Mac. Yo, you can follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at Kobe told me um, and check me out on Clubhouse, Kobe Mac. Um, and when I'm in the mood to write, you can check out my website at Kobe told So when they ask you where you heard it from, you tell them Kobe told me. Lauren LaMagna. You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren LaMango. Ryan C. Showers. You can find me on Twitter at RCS818. And Josh Parham. And you can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Malcolm and Marie here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, let us know what you think of the show. Drop us a comment in there. Rate us five stars. Nothing less than that, please. And if you want to take that a step further, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.